that as we sang, we have hope. I pray that more of us would be compelled to tell about the hope that is within us. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Have a seat, if you would. And I uh, <clears throat> thank you, worship team. Thank you. We're going to talk about your story this morning. We're going to do it together, and it's uh, it's good. Children, you'll go have some fun next door, and uh, we'll come get you later. But um, you get to hear some more great stories of how God works in people's lives. It's good. Uh, I don't mean just the people in the room are going to hear stories, I and, and your story will be in play, but uh, my story will be, and those who are listening and taking this in someplace else this morning. So please sit forward in your seat because uh, we're going to jump right in and talk about uh, when things happen to us, whatever we experience that is, let me list a few things, dramatic. Kelly did such a great job of getting us to go back in time. I just wanted to stay there. Did you? And it was dramatic for me. I was eighth grade. And um, maybe traumatic is a second word let's throw in there. So it's a sentence that has you right now thinking of your story and thinking of a moment or time that was dramatic for you. Just, in other words, other than ordinary. And, and, and maybe in some cases it came in the form of traumatic, like it just flattened you, it shocked you. It was, it was scary and hard. Um, or, or perhaps some of you have come to label it as miraculous. So those three, let's put those three together. It's part of your memory. A moment in your life where you uh, were certain that God um, was working somehow. You didn't have to have words. You wouldn't be tested on it in the morning. This is just a moment for you. Some of you, this is really current. I have somebody that's written me from far away, another country, and they're going through it. And that's okay. They're, they're maybe here this morning, and that's okay. That's good. That's, that's current for you. Um, a moment in your life, and it was certain that God, looking back on it, maybe not in the moment, was calling your name. And I want to say up front, if you're taking notes, if your heart's going to lock into something, God plans to use that if you let him. You with me? I really want you to be with me. We're told today, you know, if you had something really terrible happen to you or it's going on right now, get over it. Expunge it from your memory. Um, the goal in some counseling models is to get you to move past it and not think about it. It's nonsense. That's terrible theology. Okay, that gets our attention, doesn't it? It's not what God would say at all. If he were invited into the discussion, he'd say, hold on to all that you're going through. Not the injury, not the wound, not the devastation, but the story. Because I'm going to use it. Uh, he is, after all, the God who, listen to this, saves our tears when we cry. 
you aware of that? Psalm 56, verse 8, reads this way. You keep track of all my sorrows. How many of, anybody cried this week? You don't have to raise your hand, but probably, right? Guess who else was there in that moment with you? And who was tracking with you? He tracked your sorrows. He he does this thing. He collects all your tears in a bottle, and it's his bottle. And he's recorded every single detail of them in his book. Why would God be interested in such things? I'm going to suggest to you it's because he loves story. Your story and my story. And, and tears are part of our story. And he does so, we have to ask why. Because my assessment, 100%, I've never had somebody in my presence, I've never read of somebody unless they're, I just don't know how to even conceive of somebody that isn't in some fashion or another part of humanity, 100% of people are familiar with impossible. They live it. You lived it. Some of you are living it now. So we know moments that are just like, I can't get out of this. There is no exit in this space or room in my life. And it means that we crave more than prefer. We crave uh, impossible stories that, that actually turn out well. We crave the unexpected outcome. And I'm not saying we in this room. I'm saying everybody does. We just like, we go, oh, wow, am I, am I happy to hear that? I just didn't, I, w- I was in despair. We cannot get enough what I would call unbelievable outcomes. And I don't think I'm alone in any fashion. So God, when he gives us one of those impossibles, uh, he plans in that event and through that event, he has hopes that when he does come through and when he pulls off the impossible, you ready? You on the edge? you won't be able to stop talking about it. Amen? I hope you believe that. I think by the end of our time in God's word, you will will believe it, and you won't stop telling others, maybe starting today, how, how it turned out. And when you do, when you do, when I do that, we'll be sure to give the miracle working God Every ounce of glory that he deserves because he was the one that did it. That's right. So that's the reason. That's what this morning's about, which explains, let me say, um, something I talk frequently, frequently about. It, it explains the parting of the Red Sea, the most popular reoccurring miracle story told in the Bible. If you don't know it, go to Exodus. You'll read about it. Um, Chapter 12, but you can read chapter 1 through 12. It's not going to hurt you. And it's really good. And it gets you going like, how? oh, here it comes. It's going to happen. No, set back. Here it comes again. No, set back. 
And it goes on like that again and again and again. Chapter 12, boom, it happened. And God comes through. Um, so Exodus, did I say Genesis? I, said, I thought I said Exodus. Exodus is a read. When God miraculously delivered his people from pursuing Egyptians, it wasn't like they were like, get out of here, we're done with it. That's, that lasted about five minutes. And then they changed their minds and gave mad as a hornet pursuit of those fleeing Jews. We're going to get them and we're going to get rid of them was their sentiment. That was, that's what was going on. That's why it's the most talked about miracle in the Bible. Because they were hosed. They were had. There was no way out. But God made a way. Read Psalm 77, 19 every, every day this week. Read it in New Living Translation, and you'll start to expect God to be the way maker in a brand new way. I said way a lot. Hey, that's way cool. Okay, so let's go on. Um, so when he does such things, let's bring it to current, in your life and in my life, his hope is that we will not go shy or mute about what happened. Seems to me that's the principle you're going to see on the screen from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It starts out with blessing God, blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Watch this. Who comforts you and me. We can put our name in there. He comforts us in a few afflictions that come up. What's it say, people? all our afflictions means he's with us during that he comforts us in any of our afflictions with the comfort okay with the comfort that he wants us to give away he wants us to utilize in the lives of other people that we know at work in the neighborhood in your friendships in your family he wants us to use, he wants to use that. He'll give you the comfort you need so that when we encounter others who are in any affliction, we might dispense with what? Our comfort? That's not how it finishes. With the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. How many of you ever thought of being a counselor or a therapist? A few, maybe 10 hands. How many of you would like God to use you to comfort somebody in distress and sorrow and struggle? Almost every hand. How many don't want to do any of the above? <laughs> I know it's scary, but I'm not asking you to do it. Neither is 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. It's saying you were comforted, and God plans to use that. Um, let me put it in one sentence. God wants to leverage your story for his glory, for his glory. Today's message uh, presents how the Apostle Paul did just that. And, and it shows how the command of Jesus um, to share the gospel, because that's the ultimate good here. You'll dry tears if you let God use you, but there's a greater good. It's the sharing of the gospel, which is how this whole letter, this book that we've been reading about, Acts, 
of the apostles or acts of the Holy Spirit, it began. And it began with these words, uh, verse 8 of chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit arrives, when he comes to you or upon you. And you will, from that point, and only when the Holy Spirit, that is when you belong to God and his presence is in you, at that moment you will be my witnesses. And he says to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. So today is going to pick up on that, and you're going to get to see in chapter 22 how some of that rolled out and how the Apostle Paul has something to say long ago to us today. Would you turn to chapter 22 if you're not there? And we left off last week where the Apostle um, was warned. He was about to face um, some bad stuff. Chapter 22. Chapter 21 highlights that in verse 4 where he's told, In the Spirit they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Why? Chapter 21 verse 10 tells why. After he had been uh, for a number of days with a group, a prophet named Agabus came from Judea, came over to us, took Paul's sash or belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says this, Paul. In this way, Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, our next stop, will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. That is uh, a warning. That's a, uh, what do you call it? A shot over the bow. It's a flare in the sky. Paul, are you sure you want to do this? Because we're sure it's not going to be fun. We're sure it's going to be actually uh, difficult and painful for you. He went anyway, and sure enough, as predicted, he was arrested by Roman troops and taken to a cell, a holding cell, where, where he was rescued from the crazed crowd, we're told, in chapter 21, verse 36. He's rescued from them who, in fact, wanted to get rid of him. Some of your Bibles say, kill him. Crucify him, other Bibles say, which is a really kind of ominous uh, connection to somebody named Jesus that the crowd said as much to uh, on the day he gave his life for us. So we pick up as Paul speaks uh, after being given the chance to speak uh, by the Roman commander. This would amount to Paul's testimony. Okay, So I'm picking up here in uh, the last verse of chapter 21. After receiving permission, the commander, the Roman commander's permission. Remember, they've arrested him. He's about to be held and... Uh, and and information's about to be extracted on what in the world he's up, he's up to to cause such a commotion. So after receiving the commander's permission to speak to the crowd, when they were silent, Paul now steps up and motions to the crowd, and he says this to them in Aramaic as chapter 22 begins. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. He's been arrested. I got a story. I got something to say here is what he's saying at the beginning. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they, they became very quiet. So he's a Jew. They speak Hebrew. He's also uh, bilingual, we would say, and he gets the crowd's attention because many of them spoke, spoke Aramaic. 
They became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Remember, he's in Jerusalem. I studied under Gamaliel. I'll bet people went, whoa, at that moment. And they would remember what we were told in chapter 5. This Gamaliel, he's a big deal. And he was thoroughly trained in the law of our laws of our ancestors, the Mosaic law. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I imagine him, I just kind of go through the motions when I'm in my study alone. I'm just as zealous, the guy speaking right now, as you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. My Bible capitalizes way. It's these Jesus people. I persecuted the followers of this way to, to their death. I arrested both men and women and threw them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates up north in Damascus, Assyria, and went there to bring these people as prisoners back to Jerusalem to be what? Punished for believing this nonsense. About noon, as I came near Damascus, he's telling the story, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light as well, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, where he was heading, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me from the city. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. I just would love to have stood there and watched. At that very moment, I was able to see him. I don't know if you, you could close your eyes and sort of imagine it and go, wow, there's a lot of you, or what? Or be in a dark room and suddenly the light goes on. But this is that moment for Paul. Then he said, the God of our ancestors, this is Ananias, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Verse 16. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. There's no break in the book here. Verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem, down south, and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking to me again. Quick! The Lord said to him, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. You can read about that earlier in Acts as well, Acts 9 and 10. Lord, I, rep Lord, I replied, these people, 
They know that I went into uh, from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen, that story is told in Acts 7, was shed, I stood there with a smile on my face, giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, he's still quoting, the Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Let me stop and tell you all that we just read points to two words, Paul's testimony. He had a moment. He had a mic. He was given a chance to speak by those in charge, the Roman commander, and he spoke. And his testimony, like mine and yours, is all about Jesus. All of it. It's a story that tells what you were before you believed. That's in play. It's relevant. It also tells how you, we would say, got saved. How Jesus saved you. And then, because everybody wants to know how it turns out, it takes you into the third piece. What's changed about you? How are you different today than before you met Jesus? Everything is right there. So let's take notes for a second on Paul's approach so we can share uh, our Jesus story as the Holy Spirit provides us opportunity and, uh, and hopefully see maximum impact. Um, so Paul told the truth. That's a starting point about his prior life. Y'all are going to get uncomfortable now. Because we've been told, get over it and get, behi- get it behind you. Move forward. Um, yeah, it doesn't have control maybe over you today, but it's a real shameful past. It might be filled with hypocrisy or sexual immorality or something. It might might involve prison time. It, It might involve a restraining order. It might involve a whole bunch of things you're just going, gee, he's hitting on them already. I just don't, ah, it's awful. The story begins for Paul telling the truth about his prior life, verses 1 to 5. That's what he did. This is who I was. He, he reverently addressed the audience. He didn't do this for, uh, you know, sort of effect. He was, dear sirs, your honor, your honor, yeah, that kind of language. The respectful people in the temple that were there. Um, he told where he was born and raised. You know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I uh, was the son of a preacher. Um, I'm telling my story there. Those are important things. People like to know about that. Uh, I tell where I was raised. I tell where I was educated. Um, sometimes I tell how many times I got kicked out of school, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's in play. Parents go, well, why are you telling our, our little kids are hearing that? No, I'm telling because it's a dumb thing. That's my story. I was not on the path. So it needs to be told. And, he, and then he connects with his audience. I love verse 3. It's why it took a little time to say it. 
He points the finger. He says, you know something? You wanted to know who I was before Jesus? I was zealous. I was on fire, baby, just like you. You say, well, how was it just like them? They were the mob that wanted him killed. That's called zeal. They are the mob that had him arrested. These are fired up people. They're filled with fury. That's who he says he was. And he honestly states that he had done those things out of a zeal for God. I thought I was doing God a favor. Isn't that true? I didn't really know I was off the path. I didn't know about a path. I didn't know there was another path or the right path. Just talking like his audience might have heard. Our stories become compelling. Here's why I'm emphasizing this. When we share, like Paul, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our lives before meeting Jesus. So the question we need to get comfortable with to start is what was my life before meeting Jesus? Everything I'm talking about is going to lead to a big homework assignment for all of us. This one, just one paragraph. Find a way to say the kind of troublemaker. The, and you know, you, by the way, you might be one of those people that on the outside looked like you had it wired. You were good to go. No one knew, to, knew a thing about your soul. And that would be true. A lot of us fake it really well. People think, well, oh, yeah, they're a model. That's a model, preacher's kid. I was so phony. My dad was in. I'll, that'll work for me. I got away with all kinds of stuff. Um, but we got to be honest. Don't hide the hard stuff. Because when you do, here's the deal. You're not being real. You're not. And our world smells that quick. It's not honest. Here's the deal. Paul, verse 19, did not scrub his story. These people know. They know. He knew what his, the, the rumor was about him. It wasn't a rumor. It was the truth. That I was the one that we would have beaten, beat in prison trying to kill. I stood there. Only thing I didn't do is throw rocks. Maybe I was a junior Pharisee and they wouldn't let me do it. But I got to hold on to their coats because they didn't want to get his blood on them. I stood there and thought, wow, this is living. We're getting, in, getting rid of an enemy of God right here. Read it. Read chapter 7 and you'll go, wow, that he, he told it true. Um, so remember that the ones... You are telling your testimony to are just like you. The dirt and the details matter to them. So if your life's been a train wreck, say so. Say so. 
Next, Paul explains the when and how of meeting Jesus. That's the second paragraph I want you to write about. Okay? Real important that I tell you that I went to Mexico to be around my dad, who was leading a ministry trip where they were sharing the gospel. And everybody on that trip except me and my brother had not memorized our testimonies in Spanish, but all these other kids had, and they were sharing them every night as we invited people to tent meetings and gatherings out in the, whatever, the dusty streets of Mexico where we were. And they were sharing their gospel, the gospel and their testimony. They were sharing it in Spanish. They had to memorize it. And I couldn't understand it in Spanish, but the more I understood after hearing them talk further about it, the more I realized that I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have a story. I don't have a how and when. I have a dad, a mom. They're good, good people. Um, so it was an encounter that changed his life, Paul's life. It's verses 6 to 16 that we just read. And, and not only his life, but his eternity. It changed it all. Um, he describes intimate details of the dialogue between him and Jesus. And we read that already, but there's two questions that Paul received answers to that, that was the change. Verse 8, he asked his first question, Who are you, Lord? And the answer was, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, the one you're trying to get rid of. And then he asked a second question in, in verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? And the answer is, go to Damascus, and you'll get your answer. And he did. And we read about Ananias. And Ananias, in verses 14 to 16, basically gives him what is best thought of as a call to ministry. God's changing your life right here, right now. Your eyes are going to be open. You will see clearly. You will understand with regret what you did. And then God's going to set you on fire and send you out. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. And he takes off from there. Um, this was the moment of salvation for Paul. And immediately, Paul pivots and goes a different direction. Uh, from his misguided zeal... Back in verse 5 where he says, I oppose people of the way from that misguided zeal, I oppose them to telling people about the way, the truth and the life. John 14, 6, Jesus Christ. Imagine the impact of admitting that you had it wrong about Jesus. That's Paul's story. It may be very close to yours. Only now you live to tell people how they too can be forgiven and find a new path and life and blessing. Um, that's the effect of Paul telling people how his life had been changed. It breaks it down, doesn't it? It makes it kind of real. You can sort of taste it a little bit. 
I would not have been in the same town as Paul if I knew he was coming at one time. But after he met Jesus, I, I don't think you could have kept me away from begging him to come to our house for dinner. Because I want to see you with my own eyes. Just can't believe it. Same guy? Yeah, same guy. But changed in every way. Works that way for us as well when we say, in effect, I was going a wrong path. And then God pulled off a U-turn in my life. Um, it's the U-turn that um, is a story told in First uh, Thessalonians. There was a group of people there that um, had a pretty dark past. And then they met Jesus. It's on the screen in front of you. The Lord's message rang out from you. Um, and your faith in God has become known everywhere. These people in Thessalonica, uh, in Greece, in the ancient world. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols. That's about as extreme as it gets. To serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven. That's a change. We went from serving idols, wood and stone things that don't have eyes or ears, no brain, no power, no nothing. We went from that. That's who I was, these people would say. But I met the true living God. He did a U-turn in my life, and he um, now has put a desire in me, a longing in me as I wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who rescues all of us from the wrath to come. So Paul couldn't stop telling people his story either. The Thessalonica people, they had a cool story. Very late in Paul's life, he had his arm around a young understudy who was going to be his successor. His name was Timothy. We know the story. He wrote him two letters, probably wrote him others, but the Holy Spirit preserved these two letters in our Bibles. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, the words are on the screen, of Paul with his arm around Timothy saying, saying let me tell you my story again. Okay? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's given me strength. Timothy, you see it. He is considered to me trustworthy, and he appointed me to service, to his service. You've watched that, Tim. You've been around that. You've been in my shadow, Timothy. Even though, and he goes back, can you hear it in his voice? I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And he brings up, how it all changed him. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then, will you look at me right now? As though he gets away from the podium and he comes down and says, here's the deal. Here's a trustworthy saying that needs to be embraced by all. 
don't think of it as my story anymore. You see? He's making it an application. He's saying, this was my story. Now here's a trustworthy saying that deserves to be embraced by all. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if you think you're the exception to the rule, it can't work in my case. Have you ever felt that way? Just be honest. Have you? I've been around people to say, the, the person I'm relating to right now says, I, I'm sure I don't have, I've lost my salvation. Really? I hope he will read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. Because it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of all sinners. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, he repeats himself, the worst, as bad as it gets. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for you who believe in him and receive eternal life. No wonder he leads the doxology in verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen? We need to become comfortable telling people about our turning point, the turning point in who I once was to what Jesus was making of me. It's a turning point in our stories where we tell, um, this is how I was brought to Jesus. Um, I'm going to say this is the most appealing part of our story. And, and yet there are cynics among us that go, no, that's sentimental, that's good, that touches my heart, I almost I think there's a little moisture, a little tear. Um, but then you tell them, okay, who are you today? I'm a, I'm a different man, you would say. And that's what Paul did in verses 17 to 21. Paul tells of the towering way that his life had been changed since meeting Jesus. Uh, he went from hater of Jesus' people, that it's not more extreme than that, to the apostle who would reach, verses 18 and verse 21 says, Gentiles. You're going to go and reach Gentiles. Um, the irony is stunning because Saul was a former enemy of Gentiles, of Jesus' people. He was. And then he becomes this missionary with a purpose in being sent out to reach those very people. Um, folks, you and I have heard the story. We've heard the gospel. And it starts out with not good news. We've all sinned and we fall short. So nothing you could do to make you good enough where that statement in Romans 3 verse 23 doesn't apply to you. And here's the really bad news, that that wasn't bad. The really bad news is the wages of that sin is death. In other words, eternal separation from God. He doesn't allow sin or sinners in his presence. We have a problem, Houston. That describes me or describe me, and it described every single person that's ever been born in this world. 
The wages of sin, Romans 6, 23 says, are death. But, this is the greatest transition statement you could read in all of the Bible. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Not through you getting good or good enough, but through the grace of Jesus, the undeserved gift of Jesus. Um, that, that statement I said, I hope uh, with Kelly's prompting earlier, you're thinking about your story, but you're realizing he doesn't just tell you that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good, I've got it. He doesn't want you to clutch it tightly, but to share it freely. That's where storytelling comes in. Um, because you met Jesus, and when you met Jesus, he saved you, and he gave you a story meant to be shared. Are you sharing? Uh, because God wants to use your story for his glory. We'll pick up next week on the uh, a trigger word that was used in verse 21 that ignited the city. All was going well until that moment. Uh, Paul's story, though, and your story and my story all share a few features in common. If you're still writing notes, and many of you are, I want to give you those. They are, our stories together are very personal. Don't make your story about being the son of a preacher unless you are. Okay? And don't make up a sin story because it does get attention. But maybe you're just that quiet, private, um, prideful little person. No one knew it except Jesus and you. So maybe that's your story. So it's personal. That's the first thing. Secondly, it's powerful. God has an audience out there that needs to hear from a phony preacher's kid to a changed pastor, changed human being, that I live my life for an audience of one, Jesus Christ. So it's powerful. Change me. And then here's another takeaway. It's persuasive. People hear that and they go, they just can't help but, hey, maybe that'll work for me. Or maybe I need to get serious about my testimony so I can tell. I can tell my story to others. Uh, get comfortable with your story. And the best way I know is to remember that God wants to use your story. So that's, that's, that's kind of the takeaway here. Tell what happened to you. Um, here's the deal. Your story speaks. So say something. And remember, you've received power if you've met Jesus. You're not waiting for Acts 1-8 to happen. You received power when you met Jesus. And the Holy Spirit came inside of you and lives within you as he gave you life. 
and you are therefore to be his witnesses to Tigard and Beaverton and Portland and Wilsonville and wherever you live and whatever context you live. So say something. I, I want to leave you with two people to examine, just from your memory. I want to leave you, first of all, with a blind man. No one knows his name. He's not mentioned by name. He's just his feature. He was blind. And his story is in John 9. Really cool story. Very touching story. But people wanted to know, how did this happen? Because now you were blind and now you see. I'd have you ask this question today. Think about it at least for yourself. How many times do you think he told that story? Here's another one. Any of you call yourself or describe yourself before meeting Jesus as a crook, a cheater, some kind of a, uh, you know, embezzler or whatever or worse? Um, you're not going to raise your hand. I don't expect you to. I was. Okay, so... Um, I, I'm fascinated by Luke 19 and a man named Zacchaeus. He was a lying, cheating, robbing guy. And he met Jesus. Read his story, Luke chapter 19. And ask the question, how, long, how often do you think he told people that story? Called himself the same. I'm a cheating, lying guy. Here's bringing it home. Uh, Debbie and I wanted to have children way sooner than we had them. We couldn't. We were infertile. And then we conceived a child and lost that uh, first pregnancy a few months in. Devastating to us. We don't hide from that story. God has used that to touch, to reach through us. I don't know what he's done in people's lives. They feel sad and, you know, heart hurt for us, but we show them the hope. And more recently, my Debbie was stricken with AML on June 10th, 19, 2021. We've become evangelists since then. We have a story to tell. I'd like you to bow your heads with me um, this morning and um, think about your Think about your hard-to-talk-about moments. Of course, think about the biggest of all. I used to be, finish the sentence, then I met Jesus. And today I'm, finish the sentence. I tell that story really often. There's a song, My Savior, My God, that he would leave his place on high our words that you'll hear will sing for sinful man and men and women to die. You counted strange, so once did I. Before I knew my Savior. So Lord, now that we know you as our Savior, we we have a story that speaks. I pray that you would help us share it often. For your glory, we pray.